Kura, this program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Wellington Access Radio, make your voice heard. We just can't help ourselves. Can't even tell you why. We do these things and we can't shut our mouths. Just gotta shoot them all before we think. What does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? What does it feel like? What does it smell like? Cause you and me were like a flint and tender wind. Born into a middle class family. Vaughan was the son of either his parents or another couple of that name. Always a hobo, he decided to take refuge under a bridge, which promoted his ill health and poor table manners. In deep debt, Vaughan attended a university before pursuing a career in unemployment and poverty. For creating a mockery of the welfare state, he was forced to find work for nearly a year. He fled to Korea, revisited such prominent landmarks as Kwangju Bus Terminal and Seoul Train Station. Vaughan then returned to New Zealand where he would spark national indifference with his albums and live shows. Vaughan has released six albums and a songwriting career spanning 12 years. Together with a crack troupe of hand-picked Wellington musical prodigies, he regularly tours New Zealand, spreading dismay and unpleasant surprise with with er so ever he fares. Welcome to B-Side Stories. You are with Martin Andrews and... And Laura Kewen. We're on 106.1 FM. So, welcome everybody. Um, it's great to be here. We've got, we're have got we trying out something tonight, um, hopefully, which is going to be a regular series for B-Side Stories. We're going to focus on uh, Lost Wellington classic records that have slipped through the cracks of the mainstream, but have still left really indelible and uh, interesting marks on the Wellington musical landscape. Um, to kick us off on the show, on this series, we're going to focus on one of my favourite uh, Wellington records 2014's more songs about girls in the apocalypse by local songwriter Vaughan Colgan and we're lucky enough to have Vaughan in the studio today so welcome Vaughan hello (laughs) thanks for coming in buddy awesome loving it um, we might as well kick straight into it then. Laura, feel free to, to jump in at any time if you've got any questions as we go. Absolutely. I'll be keeping an eye on you guys. Yeah, maybe um, if we can just get that volume right down now. Laura. Sure. Uh, you heard in the background there Flint and Tinder, the opening track from the record. Um, so we'll, we'll get, go right back to the beginning, Vaughan. Um, More Songs was released in 2014, but it was your sixth record. Um, you had Thunk to, in 2006, What Not To Do in 2008, which I believe was a... Um, was a comp- so the re-release compilation of the first two albums. Right, yeah. so, so the first two albums, <clears throat> Normal, The Normal, Normal, and the- Not Quite As Good, they were actually pre-Thunk, were they? <clears throat> yeah, Normal, The Normal, Normal was the debut, mm-hmm. uh, recorded in 99 in uh, Hamilton, yep. and um, <clears throat> Not Quite As Good was the difficult second album, yep. which I did when I was uh, over in Korea. Oh, okay, great. Um, after that, we have Vaughan and the, which came out in 2008, 2009's Modern Classics, 2010's Down For It, and then the four-year breakthrough to more songs. Um, 
Let's get into into straight into more songs. Why the why the four year break? I mean, looking at these other records, it was pretty steady recording there. Yeah, that's a good question, eh? Um, I think that I might have just um, started to think harder. <laughs> um, yeah, when I recorded the first, the very first album, I actually recorded the album in two weeks, and. Um, the next one was probably more like six months, but it was just uh, every song that occurred to me, I would just record. And then once I'd done 10, that was an album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just changed, I guess, the more albums I did. Um, partly because of this other project, Gold Medal Famous, which is the um, yeah the album where we just throw ideas at the wall and accept every single one that sticks. So... Um, yeah, so it turned into quality control, I guess, which is kind of weird. When I think about my songwriting, it's weird to talk about quality control. <laughs> but yeah, I just started I started writing songs and then going, ah, I'm not putting that on an album. I'll wait till I've got a good one. So yeah, I guess things are just slowing down. And I'm sure. slowly working on a new set of songs now. And I guess that's, that's going to be a three-year gap as well, be four years by the time we're actually sort of touring that stuff too. So mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think I'm getting fussy in my old age. Yep, I think yeah, that's not such it. a it's not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just for our listeners, more songs and girls about the, about girls in the apocalypse. It's a twelve track record. Um, it appeals to me so much. I think as a songwriter myself, um, the things that I look for in music when I listen to it is the creativity or the intelligence that the songwriter can show with the way that they put these songs together, the way that they use their instruments, the way that they use the the four minutes of the song to get their ideas across and uh, how they're getting those ideas across. You know, we've heard it all before now. You know, if you look back at the Beatles, they've pretty much, everything has been done in pop music. So when you hear a songwriter that's able to surprise you or to take you somewhere in a song that you weren't expecting, you know, you hear 10 songs and nine of them you'll be able to identify where the bridge is coming, where the chorus is coming, the intro, the outro. So when you hear that 10th song and the songwriter is able to just take you off the beaten track and show you something that's interesting you know that you're hearing a songwriter that has real creativity and and intelligence in their songwriting so more songs about girls in the apocalypse is full of these it is chock full of intelligent writing Um, the the creativity shown and the use of the band how that each band member has been used um, there's so much to like about this record so that's why it appeals so much to me so just that that's a little intro for you with the record and we're going to we're going to highlight that's a 12 track record we're going to play five full songs during this time um we'll play some music underneath while we're talking as well just so you can get an idea of what the record is um so getting back to the beginning of this uh, recording process for like uh, you got the 12 tracks prior to going into the studio? Were you writing in the studio? How, how did the whole uh, creative process for the actual recording go? Yeah, I guess I just found my other excuse for taking so long now is that um, we we sort of added a step after... I pretty much started working with the band I'm working with now. Um, shoot, nearly 10 years ago when I was working on the, <clears throat> on the stuff from um, my very... First Wellington album, Thunk. Could I just, just for one sec, yeah. okay, could we get song two just playing really quietly in the background there, Laura? Yeah, we will do. 
Um, yeah, and so we've had a few staff changes, but it's basically been the same band. Um, and what I used to do was record a bunch of songs and then make the band play them. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and if people were involved in being, if they're interested in being on the record, then I'd be like, well, you can come down and do the drums or whatever. But often that was when the song was brand new. Like I'd be like, I've written this new song. Do you want to play drums on it? Um, and then they would come down. And it's it's usually, I guess, from those from Thunk and from Vaughan and the those two albums, the performances that are on there, I think the musicians sort of felt like they were their worst performances. Because they'd come down and they'd Mm. record this thing Mm. and we'd spend like two years out playing it Mm. and we'd get really good at it. They'd be like, well, why didn't we record that? So so what we started doing with Down For It and with the last album was I would do a demo, typically four or five songs, like an EP, give them to the band to listen to. Then we'd practice them up make changes to arrangements, add bits, take bits out, and then we go back and re-record the whole thing again. So it's that has added to the time it takes to do the thing as well. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but I think that's probably part of, uh, yeah, what you were saying about how you get to hear the way that the instruments are used, the way the performances are used on the thing. A lot of that's because the guys have... Now had the opportunity to spend the time mm. with the with the songs, sort of learn yeah. their bits and that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. So typically, what we do now, we still record separately. We still record in my bedroom, but we'll start with a demo. We'll play it for a couple of months, mm-hmm. and then we'll go back and sort of re-record all the bits out. Yeah, okay. we're having a bit of a technical problem with the music here, listeners. Just bear with us for a second. I'll go and sort this out. Sorry, Martin. <laughs> I think I reckon it's on hold, Vaughn. Oh, that's that's useful. The whole thing is actually. Um, can we go? Let me. To- yeah, let me pull up some tracks. Where do you keep your music online, Vaughn? Uh, I guess go for the Bandcamp. Yeah. Um, yeah, let me pull up some tracks on Bandcamp, yeah, and Martin will just continue the conversation <laughs> nice. with you. Bandcamp, Vaughan Bandcamp. So the first two records, Flint, uh, first two songs on the record, Flint and Tinder and The War Cry of J. Alfred Prufrock. Tell us a little bit about, um, I mean, they're both great tracks. So tell us a bit about Flint and Tinder. Um, yeah, so there's a little... And, there's a little musical um, figure that runs through about half the tracks on the album. And that's like the um, it's the vocal out outro from Flint and Tinder. And I started with just that um, melody. My violin player is obsessed with um, flat fives. It's the, the devil's interview uh, in, interval. You go from a C to an F sharp, for example, that mm-hmm. Um, it's the start of... Um, Thank you, Laura. It's the start of Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix. That classic um, horrible noise. So I was trying to make a nice melody that had the horrible interval in it. And then, then I had to write a bunch of chords that would go underneath it that would actually work. And that's how Flint and Tinder started with the outro. And then I just had this outro for about six months that I used to sit in my bedroom and hum. Go, this is, this is going to be a song one day. Um, yeah, and then the, the pizzicato bit at the start and the vocals just all popped into my head one morning while I was doing something completely different. And I just 
I had the, I had the whole sound in my head. And I had to frantically get it onto the computer before it disappeared again. And then, like, sort of hearing the, hearing the picking and trying to pick it out on this MIDI keyboard, going, "No, don't leave me." Mm. Um, yeah, that was cool. And that, it, and then I was like, "Oh, that thing that I've been humming for ages—that could be the end." Nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, so yep. it, all, it all just it's one of those things that I sat on for ages, <clears throat> and then it popped out all at once. So I don't know if I was working on it for six months or not, really. Mm. Um, but yeah, it took a while to come together. Yep. And the Flint and Tinder is um, the subject matter of the song is um, kind of your Flint and Tinder of a of a relationship that's not quite coming along so well. Yeah, I don't do I don't do very many genuine sort of relationship songs, and I don't. Um, yeah, I'm not necessarily judging anyone who does, but I sort of think. Can, especially, I live in Wellington. It's quite a small town, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, you go out with someone <laughs> for six months, and then you break up, and you write a song called uh, "Martha is an Evil Woman <laughs> well, Who you, Broke then you'd My be Taylor iPod." Taylor Swift, and you'd be making billions of dollars. <laughs> but I think I just find that kind of embarrassing. So, yeah. I've generally, there may or may not be sort of a real situation that informs the song, but. You're really trying to write it in such a way that if someone was, it could just as easily be a song about your boss at work. Yeah, yeah. You know what totally. I mean? Instead of like, yeah, instead of your evil boyfriend who, mm. you know, who let your car sure. tires down or something. Yeah. You know? So Flint and Tinder, the um, you know the spark that's created between not necessarily a relationship could be just two two people that just yeah. don't. Well, definitely a relationship, but not necessarily like a sexual one, right? It's yeah. just about. Yeah. Um, about personalities and how they clash, basically, the effect that people can have on each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great um, catchy way to start the record. It brings you immediately in with the, the vocal, um, starting with the, the um, what do you call it, without the instruments off the top of my head. Acapella. Acapella, yeah, mm. starting with that and then straight into the to the song. The War Cry of J. Alfred Prufrock, who, which we're listening to right now. It's actually playing underneath. Nice. Um, tell us a bit about this tune. Um, who is J. Alfred Prufrock? Oh, that's the, um, it's a T.S. Eliot reference. It's the love, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. It's T.S. Eliot's, maybe his most famous poem. If not the wasteland, um, but yeah, it's a it's a study in really boring rhymes. He's trying to write about this guy's really boring life, um, and all of the poem. T.S. Eliot was not a man to make a poem that just rhymed in a really boring way, but this particular poem just goes da 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 spoon da 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 moon, and it's like a thing that he's done on purpose to to accentuate how how very boring this this particular character's life is. Um, and so, yeah, I already had some of the lines for this song when I came up with the title, and he just sounded like a the character in the song just sounds like a guy who's stuck in a cubicle, sort of boring himself to death. And I thought instead of writing a boring thing about him being bored, mm. like I'd just sort of give him a give him a shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> Can you just stop the music there annoyed. for a sec, please, Laura? We've just reached the end of the, that tune. Um, yeah. And how, how about uh, the going into the drum and bass uh, drums at the end of the track? Yeah, I think that's just a bad habit, eh? I'm a real, <laughs> I'm a real sucker for a, a gear change in the outro, yeah. and it's it's really naughty to um, it's really naughty to go up a key. Although occasionally I really really want to, yeah. like you know. Um, so yeah, generally I will just try and find a thing that's just um, 
either a like a complete change of tempo or feel or whatever. And yeah, you you've know, got a few of them the, on the record. Yeah, yeah, some some pretty big outros going on in there. <laughs> Um, so our first track that we're going to listen to in full um, is track three. It's called Repentance Song, and, and I think it's the it's a fitting song for us to really um, show our listeners um, the first track of the record. It's probably the most accessible of the songs on the album. Um, there's, it's a really interesting track. I mean, obviously um, you, you're showing some homage to that almost most Kiwi of tunes uh, redemption song Bob Marley's redemption song and you even um, sing the rephrase in the uh, in the in the song all I ever had is repentance song which of course in redemption song is what Bob Marley says as well all I ever have was redemption songs um yeah it's it's, it's, it's probably the song on here with the most standard song structure um, where did this song come from um, so this is an oldie. I sort of, I find there's a point when I'm sort of getting a bunch of songs together or I'm either looking for something that'll fit in or I'm looking for something that won't fit in that's a little bit different. And that's sort of when I'll go back to the the scrap pile, like songs that I might have written and just never used for anything or ideas that I've been working on for ages. And I, Yeah, I sort of feel like I know when a collection's, like an album's coming together when I find one of those oldies that, that fits in. And Repentance mm. Songs, when I very first came to Wellington, 2003, 2004, I used to play in this band called um, Danger Pin, and that was one of the songs from the from the Danger Pin era. And um, it's actually on... <laughs> yeah, talk about Lost Wellington Classics. It's on a Danger Pin album, which probably 15 Wellingtonians own if they bought the CD at one of our gigs. <laughs> but it's quite a different version, and we hadn't done anything with it, and I rang up my mate Christopher, who um, who was in that band with me, and I just said, oh, can I pinch that? And he was he was okay with it. So, yeah, and it was it's kind of... It's interesting that you'd say it's more accessible as well, like because it's from a... It's from a good ten years older than the rest of the material, so mm. it's really from way earlier in my sort of songwriting career. So good, I'm getting more obscure. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I, I love about the the song is the guitar lead in it, which is um, it, it gets across what you're trying to get across, but in a really abstract kind of way. It's, it's not. It's it's how to write a great guitar lead without a lot of guitar wank. And um, that was you on the yeah. that played that. Yep. Yeah. It's great, man. Yeah. Oh well, let's um, let's hear the tune. Uh, this is Repentance Song, track three of the record. i 
go the wonderful repentance song track three from vaughn's album more songs about girls in the apocalypse um we were just discussing there while we were listening to it vaughn about um the reference to uh redemption song all i ever have is redemption songs and you were saying that there was a conscious decision that you made to swipe that that line yeah, um, yeah. It's, I was sort of going through a phase when I was writing that um, all those years ago where I like to sort of pinch uh, things from other classic pop things or from books or whatever and then just try and uh, destroy or pervert them in some way. So it was kind of like I think Redemption Songs is just really nice. Like it's, just, it's just such a... It's a complete song. Eh? It really there, is, There is yeah. nothing... There is, there is a, that is one of those songs that there is just nothing wrong with. Like, it's a yeah. perfect song. Um, yeah, and anyone can sort of listen to it and and sort of get something from it. And he's, done, he's, he's really nailed something there. Mm. And I was trying to... Um, 
sort of trying to take the same idea and then just twist it so that it wasn't something that had universal appeal, so that it was actually about a, like it's another sort of really twisted character. There's a lot of, all the biblical references are supposed to be like, it's all just Catholic guilt, piling on Catholic guilt, basically. So it's a, instead of being this, you know, beautiful sort of universal song of freedom mm. that people can sing and feel good, it's, um, yeah, it's just a... Um, just a song of shame. <laughs> it's funny because even though you were, that was your goal, it still has come out as a really accessible and um, really complete song in, in, in of itself. You know, I think um, in a in a in a more I guess fear world, like I think repentance song would be one of one of those Kiwi songs which which would be played for a long time to come, you know. Anyway, we'll, we'll move on. Um, the next tune that we're actually going to uh, hear the full song is track four. This is called Drowning Kittens, and it's probably one of the more unsettling songs on the record. Um, Why, thank you. <laughs> I think it was, uh, I can't remember the reviewer, I think it was Graham Reed. Um, from elsewhere who said that the song was nobody's idea of a good time (laughs) (laughs) it's one of my favourite reviews but there is it is a really special song in saying that Um, and the the, you've got a guest vocalist in there Anna Mm, yeah so Anna was our keyboard player and um, best vocalist for nearly two years from from around 2009 to 2011 sort of time uh Anna who she performs solo under the name of ed edie all in capitals and i'd strongly encourage you to go to one of her performances if you haven't she's amazing um her delivery on this um song is certainly amazing yeah well this is i don't do i don't do many genuinely autobiographical songs as i i I actually think that kind of your diary set to music thing is kind of lame mm. as a as a concept. It, generally, I think a song should be about more than that. It should be about more than I have this hang up or, you know, um, I have this problem and I think everyone should be my therapist or whatever. But this one story is just a, this is a completely true story from when I worked on a farm as a 19-year-old. Um, and this guy who was my boss, uh, disturbing content warning for any of your listeners, he had this box of kittens that the local feral cat had just given birth to in his barn, and he sent me to the river to drown them. And because he kind of knew at that stage I was this sort of long-haired hippie fella, he knew I'd probably set them free. So in front of me, having sealed the kittens into the box, Filled it, half filled it with rocks. He flipped it over a few times and then like stabbed it with a screwdriver. So the kittens were now in a state where the only thing that you could really do was to drown them. Um, so I go down to the river with this box. Isn't this a great story, Wellington? <laughs> I go down to the river with this box full of kittens and I have them in and it doesn't sink. And so I'm there for 15 minutes throwing rocks at it to try and make it go down. And every now and then I would think, you know, that would make a great pop song. Um <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't sing it. I, I could. Mm. It still makes me so mad mm. thinking about it that I could only really sing it as a Cookie Monster metal song, um, and I don't have the voice. Mm. And so, so I asked Anna to come over and just have a sort of crack at it. And we were going. She did two or three takes, and then she did this thing on 
sort of a third take where she sounded kind of bored as she was singing and I was like that, that, that mm. go back and do the whole song mm. like you're completely bored and that mm. was it like there was no <clears throat> there was no other way to get material that was that dark and mm. nasty into a song and make it work without having that kind of just that psychotic mm. detachment like, it just gives so the cool. songs another level of like unsettling nature due to the delivery being so flat yeah. and um, it's it's devastating um, and I think that the strongest or, or the most unsettling line in the song is the last line where she says so I pick up a rock yeah. and you're like oh Jesus <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it was, if it's not bad enough already uh, but it's a it's a fantastic song it's one of my favourites from the record it is unsettling but there's something in it which is just um, pretty magical so this is it this is track four this is called Drowning Kittens
here we go. The wonderful, the wonderful drowning kittens. Uh, there we go in the what you're hearing in the background is um, what you're hearing in the background there is um, She Keeps Monsters which is track 5 um, can we just bring the, bring the volume of the music down a tad there Laura thank you yep I can hear it um, she keeps monsters. Um, what, what do you got for us about this tune? Um, it's a, it sounds like it would be killer live. Yeah, it's one of those ones that I grew up. I grew up in Taranaki. I, I'm deep in my darkest hidden core. I am this total bogan. Um, I spent, I learned guitar by just sitting there listening to ACDC and Metallica and Jimi Hendrix over and over again and memorising, like, the leads and all of that stuff. And um, Oh, you're one of those guys. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, like, <laughs> we we like, all knew one of those guys in high school, man. Do the solo from Thunderstruck. <laughs> oh, and awesome. Um, and I'd sort of, in my 20s, you know, went through the um, pretentious sort of... Uh, uh, I'm an artist now thing where it, <clears throat> I sort of deliberately tried to lose all my chops with you know some success and you know oh, it's all about the art man it's you know and it, anything technical was kind of bullshit but you know so it's actually quite uncomfortable for me to play rock music because I see it as dirty it's like it's dirty and naughty but the other thing is that it comes really naturally to me because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that's what I grew up on so I probably have a much higher output if I just if I just played in a bogan rock band. Mm. I probably have like twenty albums now. Maybe um, maybe people would probably like them. More <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, every I will always be trying to slip like this dirty rock song into the set. And yeah, you're right. When we played Monsters Live, like it's it's just really fun. But it was the hardest song to mix, and it was the one that I sort of thought, oh, do we even put it on the album or whatever? And ultimately, the only reason it's there is because the um, instro, instrumental um, uh, little break after the choruses has got that theme from Flint and Tinder. Mm. So once I realised I could go, top, I was like, yeah. okay, you can stay now. <laughs> but only because I've found a way to be wanky about you. <laughs> Ah, that's that's ah, great, man. It actually sounds like um, it's actually still being held back. Um, even though you've put it on there, it feels like you haven't allowed the song to really bust out in the mix. It's it's almost like it's been mixed so that it gives the listener a taste of what it could be, but then it never never lets it off the leash. You know, like I imagine that playing that live could be like. Yeah, pretty cathartic if you're willing to go down that path. Well, yeah, it's, I think that's mostly about my produ- production chops, if anything. Um, but yeah, also it was just really dense. It was just like more things laid on more things, mm. and that if you do, um, it's actually the worst way to make a, a big sound. Like the fewer instruments you have, the easier it is to make a big sound. Mm. And, um, yeah, so part of the thing was I, was I was sort of doing this like rock trope where it's like, okay, we're going to have five guitars all playing the same thing. But it's not always. Um, 
it's not always a recipe for a massive sound. And probably subconsciously, you're just hearing me trying to crush my bogan roots unsuccessfully. <laughs> I, I genuinely hope that at some point in the evolution of your writing, you get to the point where you're just like, fuck it, I'm, I'm just, not. Nah, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm throwing my bogan album out there. I think it would be great. Okay, um, moving on to the next track, the full track that we're going to listen to here, The Story of My Fucking Life. Um, and the reason why I chose this song to play the full track is the is the the huge outro at the end. It goes for you've got four minutes there of a really interesting. There is you know banjos and it's it's almost kind of a um, what would you call it chase music Ch- chase music <laughs> yeah and then it takes a complete one eighty for the last two and a half minutes yeah. where you've got this big uh, really strong power chords on the guitar um, coming into it and taking it in a new direction so what, what's happening there in the, the changeover between the tempos yeah well it was um, roughly organised by decade uh, what we sort of what we sort of struck on is we would uh, once I'd sort of done the demo and then we would sort of play through um the song and all the verses the bass line just does the same thing mm. over and over and over and over again and so then we would just try and vary the verses I will have these instruments in that verse and those in that verse or whatever um, and so it was roughly organised by like starting out kind of like 60s folk and then just working its way up to like sort of um, uh, what someone would think disco was if they'd never heard any disco and only had a description written for them by an eight-year-old who was deaf in one ear or something. <laughs> but which, <laughs> roughly. And then I just ran out of decades. So it's it's it got to the big, it gets to the big um, sort of noise solo and stuff and then it drops back down and I'm doing honky-tonk piano. Um, so I've, I've regressed 100 years and I've got nowhere else to go. And when I've got nowhere else to go, epic rock! Yeah. So it seemed obvious to me <laughs> as a gear change for the end of the song. I, I, um, it also, I don't know, I might have just been reading too much into it, but the final couple of lines in the song that is sung uh, speaks of... Um, when an angel calls, you won't pick up the phone because every angel is just a. Um, there's, what is the final line? Every angel is just a Lucifer who hasn't been informed about the fall. Yeah, and then you get the drop off. Yeah, and it's almost like um, this. You're taking a listener into that realm of of the Lucifer, the or the angel yeah, which is yeah, dropped yeah. off, and it's. Um, so that was how I read it while I was listening to it. Is that? Um, yeah. So that's the that's definitely supposed to be the the yeah. choir of angels singing. Yeah, yeah. A, I got a friend who's a um, Latin scholar. Um, to it's filthy, and please don't get on the Googles and try and translate it. But it's basically I wanted the angels to be. It's beautiful singing. It's a cup uh, flatmate of mine from a couple of years ago was a really talented singer and it's a few layers of her and then uh, some of the lads from the band as well and I think maybe one of me and they're all singing in this sort of heavenly choir but we're singing absolute filth in Latin um, and I, sh- <laughs> I just loved the idea that the angels would come in and, <laughs> and you just be oh that's glorious yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah they're actually um, they're assaulting your ears 
All right, here we go. This is track six. Um, this is called The Story of My Fucking Life.
standing with my thumb out on the highway heading west. I plan to hit you right to Hamilton and drink myself to death. But like so many other things, hasn't worked out quite the way that I had planned. Oh, it's not easy being thick as fucking pink shit, but I do the best I can. So I climbed the wise man's mountain just to ask him for a tip. He said keep throwing shit at that air wall. Eventually some will stick. Now I've been throwing shit forever. It's hard to hide and I can't see the wall. Oh, but if I could, I bet there wouldn't be a morsel stuck up there at all. Jesus said it's send an angel, but I don't think that I'll pick up when he calls. Every angel's just a Lucifer Hasn't been informed about the And you're listening to the wonderful outro for the story of my fucking life that uh, we were just talking about uh, as the band uh, falls into the realm of the fallen angels. It's fantastic. Um, I do recommend that you have a better listen to this outro. Unfortunately, we are running out of time. Um, I was not expecting us to get through the full 50 minutes and only be three songs in, but there you go. Um, Vaughan, can you? We are going to finish on my favourite song from the record, The Rules, um, where the wonderful Anna guests again. Mm. Does a great job. Um, tell us a little bit about this tune. Um, I, I was at Glastonbury in 2002 and um, I was watching The White Stripes with a friend and you know they had that shtick at the time where it's like are they married are they husband and wife or whatever um, and he played this 250,000 people watching them he played the entire set looking straight at her mm. like they were married and they just had a spat or something yeah. and my friend who I was there with said um God, it's like that outro to that meatloaf song, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but for an hour. And um, I'd all, and I thought I've thought about that thing ever since, and I've always wanted to. Uh, I don't even know the word for it. It's like you want to do a parody of a phenomenon, but the best way to mock it is to try and do it better. So it's that thing where the, you have the bloke singing the the, the bloke bit, and you know, like a token woman singing the token woman bit, you know, and it's just, it's always just cheesy and and horrible and usually like has absurd sexual politics as well. And yeah, I just, I hated it so much that I ended up wanting to do it, you know, kind of as a way of, of exercising it just as a thing. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not at all sure that I succeeded, but what I like is that the... The female part is written to get the last word. Mm. So, like, mm. by the end, 
she's saying what the male part was saying that's done on yeah. purpose yeah. and she gets all the good lines yeah. and that's yeah. done on purpose I do love it when the two of you um, and it's uh, is it the only time that the two of you or that you even sing with anyone else on the record? Oh, yeah, it's the only time yeah. I acknowledge another musician. Yeah. Mostly. I, just, <laughs> I just turn my back on those people, man. Um, I, I love the <laughs> the flip of the um, gender roles where you're both singing, but you say every man is a bitch and every woman is a fool. Um, yeah, that, that really appeals to me. Um, going back to that three minutes ah what a shame okay guys we are unfortunately we're out of time uh, we could have made this a double episode but there you go um hey Vaughan, thank you so much for coming in oh thanks for having me i'm gonna put you on the spot and ask you to um what is do you have a favorite wellington record well yeah i don't know if this one is lost but um it'll be interesting to see uh, how many people are aware of it is uh, I used to play in a band called the Sprouts. I was not a songwriter, so I feel like I'm uh, I feel like I'm entitled to to peg this one. I was just a session keyboard player for a little while. Um, but the Sprouts have an album called Plutons. Oh shoot, any Sprouts album, they're all amazing. But yeah, particularly Plutons or their or their last one, Woman, Man and Machine, um, both just absolute like the the kind of album that you'll listen to and you'll just be angry at it. Anyone who knew about it and didn't tell you before. <laughs> it's just such great music. Uh, do you know if the Sprouts are at the library? The Sprouts the will definitely be accessible at the library. Okay. I highly recommend either of their last two albums. There you go. There you go, listeners. Um, thank you for coming in, Laura. I know that um, you haven't been in, in Wellington for too many years, but have you come across a Wellington record that you love? Um, <laughs> uh, I'm I, I'm gonna learn all my new favorites from you, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, well, well put. Thank you. <laughs> and um, finally, before we play this final song, uh, the rules um, for our listeners, we have a couple of copies of Vaughan's record, more songs about girls in the apocalypse, uh, downloadable. Now we will hand those out to anybody that can jump on our Facebook page, our B Side Stories Facebook page. Tell us an a Wellington album that you love and we will choose a couple and we will contact you with a downloadable code for this fantastic record. Okay um, we'll be back next week Uh, thanks for listening again thanks Laura for coming in and doing the board and thank you Vaughan this is The Rules Um, have a great week everybody That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding the Access Internet Radio Project.